0: Hey there, church, and welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rojas, the Rolling Hills Digital Engagement Director. This week, we'll mark the halfway point of our summer series, Masterclass. In today's sermon, we'll be talking about the call to commitment to Christ that every Christian must address. Jesus said in Mark 8, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But what exactly does that mean for you and me? Let's jump right in and find out.
1: Church family. It's so good to be together today, and I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for all of our campuses. We've got all of our campuses joining online today, and so welcome, Nolensville and Nashville, Columbia, our online campus, wherever you're watching from, and everybody here at Franklin, man. Our God is at work, and we are one church, multiple sites, but man, together, making a difference, and it's exciting. It's summertime. I love summer. We're Leaving for camp today with middle school and high school students, which is exciting, and a bunch of adults. It's gonna be an amazing time. And our God is at work. And also, welcome back to our series. We're in this amazing series on the gospel of Mark. And we're calling it master class because we're diving deep, okay? You know, we're going in chapter by chapter each week and just looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As Jesus is our master, we're following him as disciples of Christ. And how do we learn? How do we grow? How do we become all that God created us? To be. And so we've been in this amazing series. And, and today we come to chapter eight, and Jesus really kind of changes direction here. So this is the midpoint, right? We, you got Mark has 16 chapters. So we get to chapter eight, and Jesus really changes the focus. We're going to see that unfold today. You know, before it's been the crowds, he's been talking to the crowds, he's been doing these miracles. I mean, his teaching, he teaches as one who has authority, and he's saying, I'm the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, right? Uh, but I'm not the the one who's going to be and overthrow the Romans. I'm doing something that's bigger. I'm a spiritual Messiah. I'm changing hearts and changing lives, both now and for generations. And so he's doing all these incredible things and crowds are coming to him all over. And now Jesus begins to kind of turn up the heat. He begins to go, okay, listen, we're not just looking for spectators. We're looking for participants. We're looking for people who are ready to get involved and get engaged. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and I grew up and I loved basketball. Basketball was kind of my sport. I loved it. Uh, and San Antonio had one professional team, and that was the San Antonio Spurs, okay? So, I mean, if you lived in San Antonio, you were a Spurs fan. It just kind of was in your blood. That's what you did, you know? And, and you like Mexican food, you know? It was like in the Riverwalk, you know? You just had some things that were just kind of part of the DNA. And so we would grow up and we'd go to the Spurs games, and, and, and I remember as a kid, it was always so fun to go, and we would cheer on, and whether it was George Gervin or, you know, David Robinson or Tim Duncan, and, and so it was back when they were, you know, really good back then, and it was fun, they would win, and it was great, and, uh, but also, you know, I sat up there in the, in the crowds, and in, in the crowd, you know, everybody's all yelling, right, and they're all yelling at the referees, and you learn new vocabulary words as a little kid, you're like, well, I didn't know that, Dad, what's that, you know, I mean, but people would get into the games, right, I mean, they're yelling, and they're screaming, and they're this, and then I remember playing basketball, and I loved to play, I loved to play, and we would go watch our local high school team play, and and I always dreamed, man, I want to be there playing one day, it'd be so fun, and so I'd go in my driveway, and I would shoot, and, and I was really good in my driveway, I gotta tell you, I mean, like, I never missed a last second shot, you know, or if I did, I got fouled, and I would go to the line, and I would make the free throw, if I missed it, there was a lane violation, you know, so I always, you know, I know, we always won, it was always great, you know, and so... Then comes the end of middle school, and now there's tryouts, and you're like, ah, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's like but you're going to step out there. You're going to do this, and, and I remember going and, and, and trying out, and, and somehow, by the grace of God, I made the team, and, and there was a whole different thing, right? Now you're on the team, and now you're on the court, and I got to tell you, you look back on high school, you're like, those were fun days, Yeah, you got up at 5 in the morning, right? You worked out and and you had all this thing, but the brotherhood and and being with the guys, I'm still friends with those guys, a lot of those guys, you know, we played together and all those things, and and I think there comes a point in the Christian life where there's a lot of people, and that's what we're seeing here in the gospel, a lot of people around Jesus. What we see today, a lot of people know about Jesus, but then there's this call, are you going to follow? Are you going to step into the arena? Are you going to be a disciple? And I want to tell you, that's where the joy comes. That's where the peace comes and the purpose comes. And it's so amazing. It's so fun. And Jesus says, come, follow. And there comes this time to commit. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you up with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Oh, it's so good. And what we see in Mark chapter 8, man, you know, it just follows Mark chapter 7. We saw Mark chapter 6 where Jesus was teaching the Jews. And then in Mark chapter 7, he goes across to the Decapolis which is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he's spending most of his time on the side of the Jewish side. Now he goes over in Mark chapter 7 to the Decapolis, which is these 10 Greco-Roman towns, large populations, big towns, big cities that he goes to. And he starts doing ministry there. And it says, during these days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? And you're listening to this and you're going, Well, that sounds familiar. Right? Mark chapter six, Jesus just fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish, right? I mean, just men. So you're like 15 to 20,000. You're thinking, how could the disciples forget that, right? You're only looking at two chapters, right? Like, hey, guys, wake up, right? How do we forget that? But so often we do too, right? In our lives, we look back, and God does these miracles. God provides for us. There were times in our lives where we're thinking, there's no way I'm getting out of this, or things are really hard, or challenging, or difficult, and God comes through, and God comes through. And we pray, and we pray, and God comes through, and God comes through. And then we hit another roadblock in our lives, and we're just like, how are we going to do this? You know, like, what's going to happen? And Jesus is like... Don't forget about me. I'm right here with you. Here you go. So he says, how many loaves do you have? You remember? Not just the physical, the spiritual. How many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them and also told the disciples to distribute them. Now, I love that Jesus invites the disciples again into the story. He doesn't need them. He could have just rained down manna from heaven, right? Here's bread. You guys hungry? All right, here it comes, right? Just like in the Old Testament. But he's like, no, disciples, you go. And and I can imagine those disciples reaching in the basket like, this isn't going to work, right? Like These people are hungry. And and then they reach in, they hand out food, and they go back. And there's, I don't know where that came from. They just keep handing it out. There's more there. And I love that's what Jesus does. There's probably times in your life you're just like, I don't have the strength to make another day. I'm tired, right? And then somehow the strength comes. You know, you pray, and you're just like, somehow God just keeps showing up. God takes the little, we give, and you just put it in his hands, and you watch him multiply it. And these disciples got to see this miracle happen. And the people, verse 8, they ate and were satisfied. Like they had more than enough to eat. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 were present. He feeds 4,000 people, right, with these seven loaves and a few small fish. Now, you remember the feeding of the 5,000? There were 12 basketfuls left over, right? That was in the Jewish area. 12 representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, in the Gentile area over here, seven basketfuls representing the wholeness, the completion. And they all ate and were satisfied. And after he had sent them away, he got in the boat with his disciples, and he went to the region of Dalmanutha. All right, so we're seeing Jesus going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, ministering in the Jewish area, coming over to the Gentile area. Now he's getting back, and he's going back to the Jewish area. Dalmanutha is kind of on that coast there, and uh, you'll see if you get the chance to go to Israel someday. We do a biblical study tour there. It's amazing. But this is around Magdala, you know, Think about Mary Magdalene came from this region. So now he comes back over to the Jewish area. And when he arrives, there's the Pharisees, right? And you go to verse 11 and the Pharisees are just like, hey man, where have you been? You're going over to the Gentiles. We don't like the Gentiles. We think it's all about us, right? And the Pharisees were so legalistic, so legalistic. They're like, give us a sign, give us a sign. Jesus is like, I've given you all kinds of signs. I mean, how do you not see this, right? I am the Messiah. And then he tells his disciples, Be careful. Be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees. You know, don't become critical. Don't become legalistic. Don't become like putting people down. Don't live like that. And then you see this miracle that happens here. Go to verse 22. It says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village, where he spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. And Jesus asked, Do you see anything? So there's this blind man. This is the Jewish side, right? He takes him outside the village, and then he he spits and put that spit on his eyes, like rubbing his eyes, washing his eyes out. And He's like, do you see anything? Do you see anything? And he looked up, and he said, I see people, and they look like trees walking around. And I see something, but it's blurry. I can't really tell what it is. I'm not really sure. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now, have you ever thought that sometimes Jesus is like doing these miracles and he'll say, go tell everybody. Go tell everybody what I've done. And then other times he's like, don't say anything. Right? Like here, he's like, don't even go back in the village. Don't even tell them what I've done. Why is that? This is where the geography matters. Right? When he's on the Jewish side, he says, don't say anything yet because my time has not yet come. You know, they were going to try to make Jesus king. The crowd wanted to come and take him, and they wanted a ruler that would overthrow the Romans and establish the Jews in a place of prominence. But God's doing something bigger. So when he's on the Decapolis side, when he's on the Gentile side, he's like, go tell everybody. Remember Mark chapter 5? He healed this demoniac, and he says, hey, go tell everybody. You're in the Decapolis. And so when he comes back to the Decapolis, there's huge crowds there waiting for him. Right? So you see that that's important. Well, now verse 26 is kind of the dividing line of the gospel of Mark. And now Jesus kind of turns his attention to those who want to be disciples. He's like, okay, guys, here's the call. Biblical scholars call it the, you know, the continental divide of the gospel of Mark right here. And he says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And you got this great confession of Peter who goes, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've all been waiting for, right? You are the one. And he's like, you're exactly right. But let me just tell you. And he predicts his death here. He goes, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders. I'll be taken. I'll be killed in Jerusalem. And after three days, I'll rise again. He calls the shot. He tells them exactly what's going to happen. He's talking to the disciples. Now go here to right in verse 34. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So he gets everybody together, right? It's like a big huddle. All right, everybody, here's the thing. And he lays it out. He's like, you got to move from spectator to participant. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He's like, guys, it becomes about my agenda now, right? Not just your agenda, but, but my agenda. It's living for the things of God. It's living for the purposes of God. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's like if you spend all your time just trying to, you know, take care of you, protect you, and all this thing, and you do it on your own, on yourself, you're going to, at the end of the day, lose it. But man, if you live for the things of God, if you pursue God, you find this joy and this peace and this depth and this richness, come on. And then this amazing verse right here, he says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? And I think about how powerful that is even today. And so many people just run after the whole world. Man, if I could just get enough money, somehow I'll be okay, right? If I get enough success, if I can get enough influence on social media, if I can get, you know, then somehow my life will matter. But you run after those things thinking it finds fulfillment, and it never does. Nobody ever goes, okay, I got enough money, done, right? I'm I'm great, right? Nobody gets the fulfillment. It's because Jesus is the one. And he's like, if you concentrate instead of the outside in, the inside out, if you find your worth and your value in me, if you hold on to what God says in you, I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. I'll take care of you. But put me first. Trust me. Don't forget about your soul. Don't just make it about the outside. He says, or or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his Father's glory with the holy angels. He's like, guys, it's time. Will you follow? Will you trust? Will you commit to be a disciple? All right, if you're taking notes today, here's some things I'd love for you to write down. I'd love for you to write down. I think this is so good, but you kind of see this shift here, right? But notice, first of all, that Jesus has compassion for all people. Jesus has compassion for all people. He says, I have compassion for these people. All right? So remember, Jesus is Jewish, okay? So he's coming. He's for the the Jews first, right? And then when the Jews, they think it's all about them, and then all of a sudden they start to realize, wait a minute, Jesus is going to all over. Jesus cares about everybody else. And Jesus goes to the Gentiles there. Look, Jesus loves the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the Jews hated the gentiles a gentile is somebody who's not jewish okay basically right and back then the jews didn't like the gentiles the gentiles didn't like the jews i mean you had this tension that was there the romans and the greeks and the jews and and you had this, this tension but jesus steps into that and goes no i love all people all people and that's really powerful guys especially today you know we live in this day of division right we live in this day when it's like, man, if you don't agree with me on every single point, then you, you know, you're dead to me. You know, forget it. I'm mad at you. I'm frustrated. It's like, hold on. Wait a minute. We've got to stand for truth. And what is truth? But there's grace. And there's love. And there's compassion. And, and whether it's people, you know, in religion or whether it's people in politics or whether it's people in our neighborhood or whether it's people in our workplace, we are called to have Compassion. Look at what Paul writes. He says, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, all these divisions that we make, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church ought to be the place where people feel loved. The church ought to be like, I want to be there. I am loved because of the grace of God. See, sometimes we can see people as an inconvenience. You ever been like that? (laughs) You're driving down the interstate, and you're like, what are you doing in this fast lane? You're going 55. You know, get over. Like, you know, like, you're in my way. Like, I need to be there. Like, my agenda is more important than you. Or you pull it up, and you're like, I'm not letting you in. You know, you should have gotten in earlier. You know, like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, I'm going to save a second, right, of my life, right, instead of helping somebody. It, it's sometimes we can fall into that mindset. Like, people are kind of in my way. You know, I got this whole thing going on, and you're just kind of the supporting cast. I'm glad you're here. You know, but No. People aren't an inconvenience with Jesus. People are the ministry. Sometimes we can do that going at home, right? Why are you putting your stuff here? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Instead of just going, you know what? I love you. I care about you. It's okay. We can move it. We can fix it. I care about you. Our marriage is more important, man. Being a roommate, being a friend, it's more important. You're my child. I care about you. You're not an inconvenience. In fact, I love you that's the way jesus lived the world is like it's all about me it's all about me it's all about me and jesus goes no 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 no. you put god first you put others second then you put yourself third and watch the change in your life i mean your blood pressure goes down you're like okay it's all right you know i'd be stressed out about this i can love people like jesus here's the thing are you growing in your compassion for people this is a good question for spiritual growth if you look back over your life you know over the last year or two years or three years or five years Hey, are you growing your compassion? You know, are you care about people? You know, we may disagree on some things, but you know what? I care about you. I want the best for you. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. Are we growing in our compassion? Because Jesus had compassion. He had compassion. All right, look at this. Jesus concludes significant markers in his ministry with a meal. (laughs) I think this is really cool. Okay, this is kind of a side note, but I, I just think this is amazing. If you look here, it says the people ate and were satisfied. I mean, these people were hungry, right? Jesus had more than enough. That's the way Jesus is. It's just, it's just more than enough. Remember he turned the water into wine? And it was like the best wine. It wasn't cheap wine, right? I mean, like you know, he, he's like does it right. He does it awesome. I mean, they ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Like, man, look at this. See, we've seen the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. So there's feeding of the 5,000 and then the 4,000. Why were both significant? Well, Mark chapter 6, he ends that time in the region with all Jews, feeds the 5,000, probably 15, 20,000 people there. Now he's kind of ending this ministry over here to the crowd, the capitalists, the Gentiles. He does another meal. He feeds them, right? I'm going to feed you guys. Hey, we continue to remember the Last Supper with the disciples. He's going to shift here in Mark 8, walk with the disciples. Start the teaching here, training those disciples, because they're going to be the leaders of the church. As disciples, we're leaders of God's church today. What does he do? shares the Last Supper. We'll share communion today. It's amazing. Then, one day, we will share with all disciples of Jesus at the wedding feast of the Lamb. You want to know how all of history is going to culminate? Jesus is going to step back into history and say, enough. Enough pain. Enough suffering. Enough. I'm making all things new. And at that time, right, Christians will be raptured, they will come home, will be in heaven. There will be a giant wedding feast of the lamb. There will be a giant banquet, bigger than any banquet you could ever imagine. I mean just think about the greatest meal you've ever had. Now imagine all the greatest cooks, all the greatest food all throughout history, all being together, no sin, no pain, no sorrow, perfection. That's going to be a feast. Maybe you think about, you know, Thanksgiving, and you're like, man, I love our Thanksgiving. Man, It's just awesome. Yeah, you know, I have friends and neighbors and my family and cousins. And just think about that and magnify it a million times. It's going to be incredible. And we have something to look forward to. You know, so we go through these challenges on this earth. We go through these struggles on this earth. But remember, this is not all that there is. There is more to come. And there is a feast, a feast that awaits you when you're in him. See, Jesus brings physical and spiritual healing. And that's where they kind of missed it. And I pray we never do, right? We meet the needs physically, but God wants to heal us spiritually. His whole point is our hearts. They came to Bethsaida, and some people, notice this, some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. So it wasn't the blind man's idea, right? <laughs> these friends brought the blind man because they knew that he needed to be healed. And so they brought him to Jesus. Well, Jesus starts with the physical it moves to the spiritual. Now, this is the only miracle that's kind of a two parter, right? You're, you're thinking, well, Jesus, like, he rubs his eyes the first time and, and the guy can kind of see, but it's not real clear. And you're thinking, well, what happened? I mean, Jesus ran out of power, right? Like, he needed a recharge. I mean, like, hey, why is there like, a two step here? Why did he just the first time? I think it's this, right? His friends bought him the first time. And they brought him, and he starts to realize, wait a minute. It's Jesus. It was their faith before, but now it becomes his faith. And then he starts to see a little bit, and then Jesus touches him and it becomes his faith. Yes, I'm healed. I'm redeemed. I'm restored. I recognize who you are. Here's the thing. A lot of times, and maybe this happened for you, right? Somebody invited you to church, and you started coming a few times, and you're like, it's really cool. I mean, I love it. I love the music. It's awesome. My kids love church. It's starting to make a little sense, but I'm not sure. And then there comes this moment when all of a sudden it's like, oh, right, the Holy Spirit just gets a hold of your heart, and you're like, I get it. This is awesome. This is what God wants to do. God wants to heal me and restore me, and it's not everybody else's fault, right? It's not my wife's fault or my friend's fault. It's not. I want to be new, and I want to love, and I want to offer grace, and then it just comes on, right? Why? Because Jesus invites everyone to have a personal faith in him. And at some point, it's not just your friend's faith or your parent's faith or your country's faith. It's yours. And that's when it comes alive. That's when you're like, I get to live this out. I I get to love the people around me. I get to offer hope and grace. I get to be involved in what God's doing. I can bring food for people in our community need help and hope. I can live this out. It's Christ in me. Man, that is fun. See, look at this. As disciples, our call is to bring others to Jesus. And I love those friends who just said, hey, we're going to bring our buddy, we're going to bring him, and look what God's going to do in his life. Look what's going to happen in him. And for us, man, when we bring people, when we encourage people, when we pray for people, we pray over people, God does miracles in their hearts and their lives. And it may not always happen like instantly. It's like God working in them and God moving in them and through them. I remember as a church, uh, 19 years ago, we started, you know, we had 15 people at a clubhouse. We did a Bible study on Thursday nights and and we said, it just can't be about us, right? We, we are called to reach and to love and to serve. And so we went to this country called Moldova. And back then I was like, where's Moldova, right? But I knew there was all these orphans and these vulnerable children that were there. And it was the poorest country in the former Soviet Union. And so we started going. And that first summer we took 18 people and went on a mission trip. And, and we started to serve and we fell in love with these kids. And we went year in and year out. We started Justice and Mercy International, a nonprofit to help with kids, transitional kids who come out of the orphanages and they have no place to go. and So now as a church, you know, guys, we have four houses in Moldova with transitional living kids. We have two more we're going to be working on uh, coming up. But now everybody kind of knows Moldova, right? Because of the war that broke out with Ukraine and it's right next, it's on the border. Well, in 2010, there was a lady in our church, she's a corporate attorney, and she went on that mission trip. And she had kind of been coming to church, sitting in the background a little bit, but But she said, I feel like God's called me to go, and she was scared to death. I'll never forget. I mean, she was, like, nervous. I mean, you know, it's a long flight and didn't know what was going to happen. Well, she goes and falls in love. And she started sponsoring two boys. They were, like, 10 and 12 at the time, Vasily and Roma. And then she came back and went the next summer, came back went the next summer. Then she just started collecting supplies. We called her Mama Jen, right? She's Jennifer Severe. She's just like, Mama Jen, I'm going to get all the supplies. She becomes the leader of our teams. And she starts going. She sponsors 13 kids. Right, and she's just going, and she's serving, and she's serving. Well, when the war broke out with Ukraine, and, and so many people, right, are flooding out of Moldova, flooding out of Ukraine, she said, no, it's time to go help. <laughs> Instead of going out, I'm going in. I'm going to go and make a difference. And as a church, you know, we have through Justice and Mercy International, we have 42 people, Moldovans, doing ministry there with 1,000-plus kids that many of you sponsor, and we pray for for food and for clothes. And, and then we started a shift to take care of refugees, And so I had a chance to sit down this week on a Zoom call with Shazara, who heads up our Ukrainian relief, uh, and also with Jennifer Severe, who's there now. And I want you to hear a little bit of their story that's happening in Moldova and Jennifer's story. Watch this. Well, hey, thank you so much, uh, Shazara and Jennifer Severe for joining us in this time. And uh, we just wanna say thank you for the ministry that's happening in Moldova and for all that God's doing. And and so tell us about kind of what's happening in Moldova right now and then what's happening with the refugees that are coming in from Ukraine.
2: So in Moldova at the moment, um, we feel um, a terrible uh, inflation. Since February, we have been under stress. However, uh, all these refugees um, continue coming and across the border uh, made us uh, pull ourselves together and orient, mobilize ourselves on um, addressing their needs and uh, on the daily basis we have uh, food bags, hygienic kits, medicine, um, bedding and we are trying to help them in everything they need but we know that God is aware He knows and he will care for us. These are the words we are telling every refugee.
1: Man, we are praying for you. We're praying for our staff and we know uh, with all the 42 of our JMI staff in Moldova, so much of your job has switched to taking care of refugees. Also, tell us about how the children are doing. I know so many people at Rolling Hills, we, we sponsor kids in Moldova and Kind of tell us about how it's going with the children in the villages. Thankfully, you know,
3: um, they are just going about their daily lives, uh, trying to do the best they can, trying to survive every day just like they always have. Obviously, everybody knows there's a war going on next door, um, but nobody seems too focused on it. You know, everybody's more focused on the inflation, the fact that Inflation here is um, at least 30% in most sectors. G- given that they're an already very poor country, you know, the poor are just getting poorer here. But the kids are good, the kids are happy. You know, they, they're kids, you know, and thankfully they're resilient. And so uh, they're all doing well. Nobody seems to be scared. Nobody seems to be worried, um, you know, specifically about what's gonna happen to them. So thats that's always a good sign. You know, our work here continues. You know, if the war continues, it's gonna, it it could be pretty desperate by this winter. So the JMI's role is gonna become more and more critical as time goes
1: on to make sure these kids have what they need. Hey, Shazara, I know we're not able to bring mission teams this summer with the war going on. Uh, tell us how how are we as JMI responding to the villages, to camps? Uh, what are we going to do this summer to minister to the kids? Since you don't have American teams,
2: we plan four camps this summer. We'll try to uh, make the days uh, full of happiness, you know, and our. Transitional living kids are volunteering for these um, camps. Also, all our staff is evolving in these camps. So we continue.
3: We continue our work despite to this terrible situation. We're basically going to try to program, have at least a day camp in every village where Mm -hmm. we serve. That's a big undertaking, but the kids look forward to this. And so even though the Americans couldn't come, we definitely didn't didn't want them to, to have to miss camp.
1: Praise God. Thank y'all for doing that. With everything else going on and um, you stepping into that gap and having our transitional living kids, I know that's amazing. Jennifer, I know I call you Mama Jen because I remember when you went with Rolly Hills on the first mission trip you went on and talk about how you now are living in Moldova. You have felt God's call to sell everything here. You're a corporate attorney and now you've said, I want to go live there talk about how that call happened in your life in the middle of a war going and living there to serve and to work
3: well you know that that very first mission trip um, was the summer of 2010 I, i won't say i knew that trip Um, that I would end up living in Moldova, but God definitely planted the seed um, that he had something bigger in mind for me. You know, I I knew that there was something about being here and being with the kids that that was supposed to be part of, of my service. And so I moved to a tiny apartment, you know, saved basically every penny I could after you know a, a lot of lessons on on patience and on trusting in God's timing and not mine even though I wanted to be here years ago you know I finally was able to retire in December and so here I am um, I've got a huge beautiful family here um, I've got 12 or 13 that I call mine. My oldest is now 26 and he's now married and has a, has a baby. So, not only am I Mama Jen, I'm Grandmama Jen
1: now. And I'm so thankful, you know, and, and I, it was God's timing. And um, and just thank you for going, for serving, for making a difference. Um, we love you guys. Wow, isn't that <laughs> awesome? Wow. It's just amazing to see, you know. <laughs> i love that i'm not just mama jen i'm Grandmama jen now you know and to see the difference that god's making right there in church thank you i mean you are making a difference in the lives of so many around the world um you know here's the thing right jesus invites you to join him and and i think we always have to remember that you know we're not just called to sit in the crowd we're not just called to be spectators we're always called to step in and to step up and and what that looks like you know he called the crowd to him along with his disciples And, and it's like he brought everybody together and And he spoke to the crowd. He spoke to these guys, and he invited them. And and I think that's so important for us to see. If you see Jesus spoke to the crowd about following, he got everybody there, and he's like, okay, guys, here's the thing. We follow, we trust. And I'm not saying that Jesus is calling all of us right to go and live in Moldova to sell everything. Uh, But if he did, is it something that maybe you would go, okay, that wasn't part of my plan or part of my agenda, but, but God, if you need me, you know, and maybe God's not going to call you to do that. Probably most likely he's not. But, but God's going to call you to be involved somehow, some way. Right? And God's going to call you and me not just to sit back but to, to engage. And I think that's the important part for us. To follow Jesus means you commit yourself to his agenda. All right, now, you know, God's agenda, raising your kids in Christ, you know, your agenda growing your marriage, your agenda, reaching the community around. Your agenda, growing God's church, investing in the things that matter. Your agenda, bringing food for the hungry, helping those who are broken, making a difference. But we commit right to his agenda. See, are you following the world or Jesus? And I think if we always have to kind of take a time to, to look at our own lives and say, am, am I falling more in love with the world? And if I am, what I'm going to find is I'm going to be more self-centered. I'm going to be more all about me. I'm going to be more frustrated. I'm going to be more impatient. I'm going to be more angry because I'm just trying to mass my stuff, more things, and think my success comes in that measure. But if I'm following Jesus, I'm more open. There's joy. There's peace. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But man, I'm growing as a disciple. And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? It doesn't anything. And you can look back through History. But the people who stepped out and joined Jesus, lives were changed. You know, and it wasn't just the 12, right? I mean, we know there were a lot of women who followed Jesus. We know that the women were there at the cross. The women were there at the tomb. We know that there were 120 believers just in Jerusalem after the resurrection. We know there were people all over because when the gospel begins to spread, people are opening their homes. They're doing community groups They're churches. They're doing all these ministries that are already happening. But Jesus is preparing us. And it's so easy for us to drift off to the things of this world and think that's going to satisfy and miss the things of God. And for us to be reminded, man, the world, they're facing challenges. And when we, by God's grace, can step into that and meet the need for the glory of God. Hey, are you a part of the crowd or are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple? Have you moved from spectator to participant? Are you following? Are you trusting? What's Jesus calling you to? He's always calling us to take a next step. He's always calling us to step out and to grow. And maybe for you, it's salvation, right? Somebody's invited you and you've been here, you've been watching online and then someday it's just like, wait a minute, now it makes sense. I can't die for myself, right? I need a savior. Jesus, you're my savior. Maybe for you, it's baptism. And you've always heard about it. Every time that word comes up, you get nervous, but you know God's calling you to take that step. There's such joy when you do. I mean, you look at Mama Jen. She's scared of going on that first mission trip, and then she goes and she's like, "Wow, look at what God's doing!" And here I am. And I didn't know I was all going to work out, but God, you supplied the money, the resources. But here I am. Maybe it's joining the church. Maybe it's serving in some capacity. Maybe it's just giving back. Maybe it's being generous. I don't know. But for us, don't fall in love with the world. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. You know Theodore Roosevelt wrote this On April 23rd, 1910, he said, "It's not the critic who counts. Nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds." Who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions. Who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best, in the end, the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither knew victory nor defeat. I always think about that. Just think about how many people in the past have missed Jesus. (laughs) Stayed on the sidelines instead of stepping out and following him. And trusting and as disciples of christ this is our day this is our time this is our opportunity and jesus says come follow come trust come live it all for the glory of god and watch me do great things through you great things in your heart and your family in your community and even around the world trust me trust me i want to invite you to take the elements with you today like I said, oh, a significant marker ends with the meal. And, and Jesus, as he pours into his disciples, he, he shares communion, the Last Supper, with his disciples. If you're online, you want to go in the kitchen and get some wine, some juice, bread, some crackers. But Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body broken for you. Not just for the whole world, <laughs> for you personal what's God saying to you today what's he saying to you take and eat in remembrance of him Mm. and after supper he took the cup he said this is the new covenant my blood poured out for you my blood poured out for you not the old covenant new covenant of grace take, drink, in remembrance of him. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim, I'm a disciple. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence right here, right now. God, you're with us in the middle of wars, in the middle of struggles, in the middle of fears, in the middle of unknowns. Jesus you are with us and you are for us and you invite us to step out and to step up and I pray father you would meet us right here right now in this time of worship in this time of response you would speak to our hearts what are you calling us to do maybe there's somebody we need to forgive maybe there's some passion that we need to have maybe God you're calling us to salvation or baptism or join the church maybe God you're calling us to to sponsor a child or to give but God to make a difference so Father God here we are your servants your disciples today we thank you for the bread we thank you for the blood poured out for us and God we respond to you with a heart of gratitude and a heart of worship meet us in this moment right here right now in the name of Jesus we pray we worship
0: That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're glad you spent some time with us today. Have a great week.